0: And if our God is for us, what? Okay, we sang that song for a good reason. Uh, first of all, he's a good, good father. So you should be a good steward. You heard me read the text. He's a good, good father. He's a competent God. He'll keep his promises. He's promised to reward you if you'll be a faithful steward. And he's a good, good father. And, and, and the other thing about uh, the, the song we just sang with Tomlin... I think both of them were Tomlin songs. Um, If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, okay, out in the world, if God is for you, the one who speaks two trillion galaxies into existence, if if God is for you, then why won't you be a good steward? No one can come against you, right? Except in the providential, providential will of God, which he's got a purpose in that too. Again, Daniel was delivered. Stephen was stoned. We don't understand always exactly what God will do in every circumstance. But that's God's business. That's not our business. That's God's business. So our job is to simply be faithful. Simply be faithful. Well, I I fogged up my glasses so badly that uh, let me see if I can wipe them down here. It's my understanding. I was talking to another pastor this week that uh, these mask things are going to go away pretty soon. Uh, So we can actually sing in a worthy manner to the Lord. So I want to begin two stories, two true stories. These two stories come from uh, John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. If you've never read the book, I encourage you to read the book, Don't Waste Your Life. Um, It had a huge impact on me 20 years right before we came here. Probably had a lot to do with us um, coming here. Um, So I want you to... As I read these two true stories, very short, I want you to decide which one's the tragedy. Okay? Do you know where I'm going, Eleni? Eleni's heard this before. Okay, don't tell anybody, okay? Uh, Yeah, Ashley's probably heard it before, too. First story April 2000. Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon, West Africa. They were both in their 80s. I can only appreciate, now that I'm almost 67, I, can, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be in your 80s. Um, and they had poured their lives out in making Christ known among an unreached people group. They shared the gospel and provided medical care to the poor. As they were making the rounds one day, the brakes failed on their car. They went over a cliff and both were killed instantly. First story. Second one. In February 1998, the Joneses, an American couple from the northeast section of the U.S., took early retirement at the age of 59 and 51. Must be nice. They moved to Florida and filled up their days cruising on their 30-foot trawler, playing softball and collecting seashells. Now, the question is, which one of these stories is a real tragedy? I know you think it's a trick question. It's not a trick question. But the question reveals a lot about how we see this life and the next. You know, it it reveals a lot about what we value in this life, what our purpose should be and how we should use this gift of life that we have. Are we taking the long view or are we tied up in the temporal view? By the long view, I mean we get it. We get that we are eternal beings we get that we have immortal souls we get that we will exist forever somewhere we get that and because we get that it informs how I live my day and how I treat my wife and my husband and my kids and how I treat my colleagues and how I do business and how I act in the church and how I use my gifts and you know etc 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 so which of the stories is the real and ultimate tragedy. I think if you stopped a thousand people on the street, 999 of them would say to you that the the two missionaries that went over the cliff was the tragedy. Um, But you might find one lover of Christ who would readily see the tragedy of the second story. Spending the last shall we say two or three decades of your life with trifles This is a tragedy. If you have an eternal perspective, okay? Let me me share with what Piper says here. John Piper, from the book, Don't Waste Your Life. He talks about Ruby and Laura, the missionaries that went over the cliff. He writes, These two lives were driven by one great passion, namely to be spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Christ. Even two decades After most of their American counterparts had retired to throw away their lives on trifles, their lives and deaths were not a tragedy, but a glory. (laughs) The second story appeared in a U.S. magazine Reader's Digest. Piper writes about the Joneses who retired early. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let that last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture this couple before Christ at the judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. And he writes, this is a tragedy. This is a life wasted. The title of the book, Don't Waste Your Life. This is a life wasted. Two qualifications here I want to make clear so there's no misunderstanding. We're not all called to be missionaries. That's not the point. You can be a missionary in your home. Uh, in your vocation, you can be a nurse, a carpenter, an engineer, a designer. It doesn't matter. You can be a missionary there, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be missionaries whatever our vocation is. That's not the point. Don't don't want you to hear that I'm saying everybody's got to be a missionary. That's not the point. Uh, secondly, retiring from your life's work, your, your secular vocation, is not wrong. That's not the point. The point is not that they retired. The point is how they used it, how they used those last two or three decades. That's the point. So I want to make sure we have those two qualifications and understand uh, that there are no misunderstandings here. Um, What these two stories illustrate is our perspective on this life and the next. That's what I hope I'm trying to illustrate for you. So are you taking the long view or the short view? We talked a lot last week about the new heaven and new earth, the inheritance of the true believer, are you looking at the beam of seat? Are you heavenly minded? Or are you so focused here? You've got blinders on and, 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 and all you can see is temporal. All you can see is temporal. I think that would be a hallmark of certainly an unbeliever. Jesus warns us about the short view, Matthew six nineteen. He says, hey, don't lay up for yourself treasures upon the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. We all know this. We're, you know, we're, we all have at least average intelligence. We know we can't take anything with us. We know it's foolish to, to, to set our heart on and lay up treasures on this earth. Then Jesus exhorted us to take the long view, Matthew 6, 20. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor, nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Every time the true gospel is preached and it's correctly preached, it is an exhortation to take the long view. God means for his people to take the long view. And every time you come in here, I'm trying to communicate that to you. I don't want you to be earthbound in your thinking. I want you to be heaven bound in your thinking. As I said last week, our heaven view should dominate our world view. God repeatedly tells us in scripture in many different ways that most of your life will happen after you physically die. You understand that, right? This is a biblical truth. One of my missionary buddies, his, uh, his byline or his, I don't know, maybe it's his email address, it's called Life in the Dot. Life in the Dot, right? You, you know about Life in the Dot. I was going to do a, a, a visual aid for you, but it, w- it wouldn't come up on the wall. Some of you know that uh, one of the Voyager space, spacecrafts launched many, many years ago, turned, they were about, it was about 3.7 billion miles out, 6 billion kilometers out, it turned and took a picture of the earth. Have you guys seen this picture? It's called the pale blue dot. Just go Google the pale blue dot. Okay? Now, what I want to say to you is I know 3.7 billion miles is not real to you, but it is a fact. And it's almost like eternity uh, is really not real to us, but it is a fact. So what I'm trying to get you to think about, go Google the pale blue dot. You, you got you. You know, we think Earth is so large. It's just a pinprick in space as Voyager looks back. Right. And all of, all of space is a is a picture of eternity. I'm trying to get you to understand your life here is nothing compared to your ultimate destination where you will spend eternity after eternity after eternity after eternity. Do you, you understand why I'm exhorting you to take the long view? Do <laughs> you understand? Uh, we're out of here, man. We're vapors, right? We're a breeze. We're, we're grass. We're flowers. It's all the metaphors that the Bible uses to talk about human life. So I don't want anybody to be confused. I don't think anybody here will be. There is no reincarnation. There is no annihilation. You will exist somewhere forever. Period. It's a fact. Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed for men to die once. And after this comes the judgment. The Bible is clear after our physical death, our souls and resurrected bodies will reside forever in the new heaven and new earth or in hell. It's just the reality. It's what the Bible teaches. If you don't like that, then go do something else. It's what the Bible teaches. It's what Christians believe. It's what Christians believe. Not every denomination believes it anymore. They won't even preach it anymore. They don't love people enough to preach about uh, what's at stake here. They don't love them enough. They just want them to come, bring their money. You know, let's have a good fellowship. I love that Jesus was always blunt with us. I've always loved that about him. So it's the obvious message of the Bible. Many false teachers today refute the existence and eternality of hell. Jesus said it was real. To, To say otherwise is to call him incompetent or liar. So there's a lot at stake here if you're going to dismiss the eternality of hell. There's a lot at stake. Principally being, you've just called the Son of God a liar or ignorant. It's at least one of those. So there's a lot at stake here. Again... We will reside somewhere forever. Last week, we talked about uh, the new heaven and the new earth. And I like to say that other than heaven. Heaven is a right term. But I, I think heaven connotes, um, it, can, it, it doesn't connote enough. I'll put it that way. The new heaven and new earth. We will be resurrected physical beings living in a physical cosmos, right? Glorified. That's pretty Exciting. So we get to live forever. And today, as we look at the text, we realize not only are we going to live forever, but God is going to be rewarding us forever for our faithfulness in this dot. In this dot you're living in, God will reward you forever for what you did in the dot. Yes, he's lavish like that. He's a lavish God. He's gracious and good. He's the good, good father. And, you know, if God is for you, who can be against you, right? So go do it. Go do the word. Stop, you know, being afraid to do the word. Go do it. Go do it. You've only got a dot, man. You've only got a dot. God has not only saved us. (laughs) He's given us, you know, the ability to live a, a life of huge faith. You know, every day ripples eternity one way or the other. Right. And I know we don't think like this normally, but when you get up in the morning, you know, it matters. It matters what you do today. It matters what you do in the dot. And as we look at the text, we see that how true that is. He's offering eternal reward to his children who are good stewards of their physical, spiritual and financial resources. This is what he does. And he's serious about this. He means for you to be serious about this. You are his steward. You are his steward. Steward. He means for you to be using all that he's giving you, which, everything, which is everything you have. All that he's given you, he means for you to use it for the glory of Christ. Yes, your money, your family, your job, everything, your internet surfing, everything is to be for the glory of Christ. You say, Jim, that's big. I know it's big. It's supposed to be big. We're dealing with Jehovah here. It's supposed to be big. It should be big. You should be intimidated. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit, right? We can't do it, but we have all we need, right? We're indwelt by the, member of the, uh, by the third member of the Trinity. I mean, come on. When was the last time you thanked God for that? When was the last time you fully engaged that gift and used it? For the glory of Christ If you are taking the long view, you'll be expending energy to be a good steward, a good steward of God's endowments. 18th century American theologian Jonathan Edwards, he got this. And in his 20s, listen to this. This is one of the resolutions. He wrote 60 or 70 resolutions. This is one of his resolutions. He was 20 years. He was in his 20s. Listen to this. Resolved. To endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world. Get that right there in the other world. Not this one. The other world, he says. I love this. As I possibly can. Listen to this. With all the power, might, vigor and vehemence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. I think this is brilliant. And I want to hand this off to you. And I, wanted, I want to take it into my life as well. I, I want to take this re- resolution into my life. I want to get as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. And I will, w- with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence I, can, I am capable of, I think it's beautiful. So Edwards is taking the long view here. His worldview was dominated by his heaven view. The new earth and new heaven view. We, last week we talked about Colossians one. Uh, pardon me, 3, 1 and 2. Remember, God tells us to keep seeking the things above. Is that true of you? Remember, he said, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So if you came in here and were a little confused or a little disoriented, I hope that God wakes you up this morning. You're not supposed to be looking at the temporal. You're supposed to be looking at the eternal. Every day. Beloved, it matters how you live today. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do. It it doesn't have anything to do with your station in this life. It has everything to do with your station in in the next one. So today matters. I know a lot of us think today doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters. Every day will ripple Eternity. So as we talked about the new heaven and new earth last week, this is what we heard the Lord say to us. And as we look at that which is eternal, what? It changes the way we think, which changes the way we live. That's why he's telling us to look at that which is eternal. Because it changes the way you think, which changes the way you live. You know, God doesn't just say things to hear himself speaking. He means for our lives to be changed. So Edward says, yeah, with all the might, power, vigor and vehemence, I can muster. I will lay up treasures in heaven. So I'm asking you, is that something you think about often? You know, am I going to? Uh, Am I spending my time laying up treasures here or am I actually investing my life in laying up treasures in the place that I I will will spend um, most of my life? So last week we pointed at heaven and I encouraged you to think about it, to concentrate on it, to dream about it. I don't think I use this word, but to fantasize about it. Use your sanctified imagination. I think we talked a little bit about that to the degree that it changes the way you live every day. You know, if your Christianity doesn't change the way you live, then it's not Christianity. It's something else. I don't know what it is, but it's not Christianity. So the stewardship. The stewardship concept. Let me define it for you. I think you already know what it means, but I'll define it for you. God means for you to be a steward. A steward is a person who manages another's property, finances, or other affairs. So this life is not, this life you have is a gift. You think it's yours. It's not yours. Read C.S. Lewis. <laughs> it's not yours. It's his. He gave it to you. You are his intellectual property. Whether you love him or not, you're his intellectual property. Okay? So, And all that you have, your resources, your talents, your gifts, your abilities, all that you have is His. And you're a steward of it. You're a steward of the oxygen you breathe. You're a steward of the food you eat. What is a steward? A person who's managing the property of another. That's your position before God. You're managing His property. That includes you and all that you own. So tonight we'll see from the Bible how our stewardship of our temporal endowments resources determine the sc- I want you to hear this. It determines the scope, dimension and proportions of our eternity. You're, it's right in the text. It's right in the text. Oh, you uh, you gained you gained five talents. Well, be over five cities forever. It's all out of proportion. The reward is all out of proportion to what you and I would do in this life. So we'll be looking at let's let's turn quickly to Luke 19, Luke 19, the parable of the Minas. We'll start there and then we'll look. We'll go back over to the parable of the talents that I read to you earlier. And we'll take a look at those as well. Interestingly enough, what's compelling about these parables is everybody's in them. Like whether you believe or you don't believe, whether you love Christ or you don't love Christ, you're in here. You'll see yourself. You are in here. Okay, you're in. Everybody's in this parable. Everybody's pulled in. And as we go through, we will See that? I do want to say that I'm not going to develop all aspects of the parables. I don't have time to do all aspects. I'm going to concentrate on this stewardship issue, which is the main point. I'm going to concentrate on the stewardship issue and the promises that God makes with respect to our stewardship. Luke 19, uh, verses 12. We'll start here at verse 12. This is Jesus talking. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country. Now, this is very similar to the one I read to you early. Some other nuances. He went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. Of course, this is this is Christ. He'll, he's coming back. Verse thirteen. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten, ten minas. And he said to them, "What does he say to?" So you tell me, what does your Bible say? He said to them, "What?" Engage in business. Do business. With what I give you. Are you doing business? Are you doing godly business with what he gave you? An eight-year-old can understand this. Use what I give you for my glory and my benefit. It is all about me. Colossians 16. it's always all about me. Some people don't like that it's all about God. Okay, I get it. Don't, Don't come in here don't come in here. It is about God. It's always about God. It will always be about God. And if you don't like that, yeah, go do something else. If you think it's about you and that's the only way you can exist, then go do something else. Don't come in here. We understand cosmic reality. It is about God, only about God. That's just a hard biblical truth do business the, the greek word here is is pragma it's where we get the word pragmatic he means for you to do you know serious sensible no nonsense real life business this is not academic religious talk this is what he means As you notice, verse 14, his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. That's the world. The world hates Christ. It's always hated Christ. It killed Christ. The the world system hates Christ. The media hates Christ. The, The university hates Christ. Most of pseudo religions hate Christ. I mean, if you just give lip service to Christ, you hate him. If you merely tip your hat to Christ, you're hating him. Because he is the ruling and reigning creator God. Anything other than absolute worship is blasphemy. It is blasphemy. Because he is the great reigning God. Pretty big deal. Verse 15. And it came about that as he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that the slaves come before him. He called to him and in order that he might know what business, there it is, what business they had done. Okay, here's the accounting. The first appeared and said, Master, your minah has made ten minas more. Uh, minas more. I like this because he says, your Minna. He understands this is God's, it's all God's is what he's saying. This is all yours and it made ten more. I love that. And he said to him, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, being authority over ten cities <laughs> forever. Okay, this is how lavish the reward is. The second guy comes and he says, Master, uh, your, your, your Minna has made five uh, minas." And he said, hey, be, be over five cities. Then it, and then we come to the unbeliever, the one who's indifferent toward the, the creator king. Master, behold, your, your minah, which I kept, I put it in a handkerchief, and I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. And you take away, you know, he, he insults God. This is what he's doing. He's insulting God. And his lack of, of, of really being a good steward, he blames on God. And he, and he does nothing with his gifts. He does nothing of consequence. Nothing that matters. He puts it in a handkerchief. Verse 22. God said, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Obviously, this is an unbeliever. You, you knew I was an exacting man, <clears throat> taking up what I did not lay down and reaping where I did not sow. Then why did you not put my money in the bank and I would at least have it collected by interest? Verse twenty-four: Take the men away from him and give it to the one who has ten. This is just like we, what we saw in the in the parable of the talents. Verse twenty-six: I tell you that to everyone. who who has shall more be given, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. So we see this, do, I love this, do business. I mean, are you doing God's business? Are you really? I mean, how big is that? How important is that? And this, the first guy, the first, the first, uh, Steward, He gets a tenfold increase. He's a faithful steward. And it, again, he acknowledges God's sovereignty and ownership of all things. I love that. I think that's a beautiful lesson for us. So we're to faithfully sow the seed, but God brings the increase. You know the text, Matthew 13, 32. The mustard seed grows out of proportion to the size of the seed. This is a picture of the reward that the true faithful believer will receive from God. You know, we're in the big scheme. We're sort of nothing in that we're precious to him. But in the big scheme, we're kind of nothing. But but we can grow in our faithfulness and make much of Jesus in it. And I just want you to, again; I want to remind you, just see how extravagantly generous God is in his lavish reward. OK, uh, a minas was was worth three months wages. It's, it's a monetary unit. It was, you know, and I, I do want to say this. Some people see the the, the, the the minas as a as a as the life that's that's the life God has given you. Some some would would liken it to that. It, it can it can work this way. But I want you to, to see that uh, he received three months wages, and he, he got a tenfold return, so 30 months wages. What's 30 months wages to God? It's nothing to God. He owns everything. 30 months wages is nothing to God. It's, listen, don't ever think what you do is unimportant to the master, okay? If you're a true believer and you're sowing the good seed, don't ever think it doesn't matter. It matters to God. He's given you one talent, maybe, Right? And it matters to God. If you, get a, if, if you get a tenfold return, that's nothing to God. We understand it's nothing to God, but he will lavishly reward you. Don't ever diminish what God can do through you. You know, this is one thing I've noticed as, as a pastor over the years. People do not believe they have what it takes to be, a, to be a mighty, shall we say, disciple of Christ in the world. You have everything that it takes. You have all that you need. If God is for us, who can be against us? And this is the thing that, that kills me. You know, you get all of this uh, charismatic goofiness, right? The Holy Spirit is about X, Y, Z. Here's what the Holy Spirit is about, that you go live a Hebrews 11 life for the glory of Christ. That's what the, the Holy Spirit is about. The Holy Spirit is about regeneration and empowerment To live the Christian life. Okay. I don't have time to develop all that. But, you know, you get kind of bored with all of the silliness sometimes and the superficiality. Man, go live the life. You think you got the Holy Spirit? Go live the life. If you don't, go live the life. Don't talk to me about having the Holy Spirit. Don't talk to me about it. You're certainly not fooling anyone. So, where am I in my notes? My point, okay. The Lord is disproportionate in how he rewards his servants. And why is he like that? You know, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 calls Christians to be cheerful givers. Well, he's the same way. You know, he calls us to be cheerful givers because that's how he is. He just gives. He gives and gives and gives. He never stops giving to his faithful children. We saw it last week. Eyes not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. He is a lavish giver forever. That should motivate you as you live your dot. In the second service, the second servant, we see it, a fivefold increase. God put him over five cities. So I want you to see that your earthly stewardship of God's gifts determine the parameters, dimensions, scope of your eternity. It's right here in the text. Your faithfulness will be re- rewarded in eternity. The scope of your responsibility, where you will rule and reign, what you will be doing in the kingdom of God is largely contingent upon how faithful you are in this life. It's 1 Corinthians three ten through 15. You don't have to go there. But, you know, you know, before the Bema seat, right, where we give an account of what we've done in the body. These are believers. It's just it's it's the believer thing. We're giving an account of what we've done in the body. Have we built with gold and silver and precious stone or with wood, hay and stubble? Right. And it will be tested by fire. You guys know you guys know the text. So this is a picture of that reality. Again, I want to say it again. Our faithfulness and our stewardship has a direct relationship to the parameter, scope, dimension, position, responsibility, authority, etc. that we will have in the new heaven and new earth. <laughs> this, is, this is huge. This is the most important thing I bet you've heard all week. I know you're already familiar with this. I think most of you are biblically literate. But man, you've got to get your eyes off the dot. Got to get your eyes off the dot. Many professing Christians do not seem to take God seriously at this point. They think that uh, God may have given them gifts, but He's not overly bothered about how they use them. Wrong. He's deeply interested in how you are using what He has given you. I've often heard this. Many think that if God does, in fact, reward—which of course He does—he says in His Word that He does. It will be in some general or generic commendation, equally applicable to all. Wrong! Read your Bible. Just read your Bible. That's wrong. That is wrong. Ruby and Laura and Jonathan Edwards, they got it right. They took the long view. They weren't living for the dot. They were living for Eternity expended their lives in laying up treasures in heaven. The Joneses, that early retirement couple, got it wrong. They took the short view. You know, they didn't care anything about what God had given them to use for his son's glory. They didn't care anything about it. They thought it was all about them. Again, I I, I do want to say, I want to make this clear. This is not, you have to be a missionary. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying retirement's wrong. It's not what I'm saying. In fact, retirement can be a great gift from God. because then, then you can use your talents uh, to even uh, possibly a greater degree. But you should be using your talents and gifts, whatever vocation that you have. And we saw here that the, this, this wicked servant, he had an utter disregard for his stewardship. Just an utter disregard. He didn't think about It didn't matter to him. He didn't see his life as a stewardship before. God, he never sought to do any kingdom business. And again, he blamed God for his own lethargy, indifference and apathy. God said, you should at least got me some bank interest. He says, take what he has and give it to the one who has 10. Now, what is that a picture of? The wicked servant will go to hell. He has utterly lost everything forever. And whatever he thought he had will be given to the elect, right? It will be given to the faithful steward. This is just a dichotomy between the ultimate loss of, of, of hell and the unfathomable gain, inexpressible gain of heaven. It's phenomenal as we contemplate these things. God says in verse 26, everyone who has shall uh, be given more, but from the one who does not have even what he does have shall be taken away. This false servant, this counterfeit Christian, this pseudo Christian loses everything. By his life, he has showed utter disregard and contempt for God and for God's command to him. This is just, again, it's a comparison between the long view and the short view. So let's very quickly turn back over to to Matthew. We'll look at that. I've already read it to you, so we can go through it pretty quickly. We'll take a look at, um, we'll take a few few moments here to look at this and uh, make a few comments. Again, I, I want you to notice verse 14 and 15 here. God distributed talents according to their ability. Okay, according to their ability. That's that's an important phrase. Some of us have been granted greater abilities, greater capacities, greater gifts, and I think one of the key elements here is, and probably most important, is greater access to the Word of God. Now, you know, not let many of you be teachers, for you will incur stricter judgment. Not let many of you sit in a church under the preached word of God and do nothing with it, right? To whom much is given, tell me. These are eternal things, beloved. These are eternal things. But I think there's this aspect to this. Those who don't have access to the word of God uh, they, 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 they don't have the same instruction and command and understanding that you have. I mean, your Bible, it's in your house, it's on your bookshelf, it's, or by your bed, it's right there. We really have no excuse. So whether you're a five-talent guy or a one-talent guy, what's the truth here? God just expects you to use your talent. He doesn't expect a five-talent return from a one-talent guy, right? I mean, I'm not John Piper. I'm not John MacArthur, two of my favorite guys. I'm not them. But God doesn't look at me like them. They will be judged because they are five-talent guys. I'm not that. God just wants a one-talent thing from me. There's a great comfort in that. I don't have to be somebody else. I'm just supposed to be me. I'm just supposed to glorify Christ in me. In my simple little orbit, my simple little life. There's a lot of blessing and um, peace in that. Verse 19 here, God returns to settle accounts. And again, the five talent guy earned five. Verse 21, I I want to read this again. It's one of my favorite verses. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You have... We're faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things forever. That's the implication. Enter into the joy of your master. Same thing is true of the two talent guy. He earned two talents. Again, the lesson is God will be looking for a return based on your individual gifts and your individual resources. Isn't that isn't that wonderful? I don't have to be John Piper, John MacArthur. I don't have to be those guys. I just have to be who I'm supposed to be in Christ and be faithful about it. So are you doing business? Are you doing business with God? We saw this last servant who's obviously not a believer, a true believer. He cared nothing about his stewardship. He insults and blames God for his own indifference. We know he's a false servant for at least three reasons. He insults God. He's called a wicked slave and he's cast into hell. So we obviously know this is not a true believer who has lost his salvation as some ridiculous teachers would say. So God is exhorting us to take the long view through these the parable. Salvation is a gift. I, I, I shouldn't have to say this, but I say it for just to make it clear. I think you all know this. Salvation is a gift. It's not about earning it. It's not about earning it, but rewards are about earning it. OK, not, you're not earning your salvation, but we're talking about the reward that God will lavish upon those who are faithful those who are faithful stewards. So we see why the Joneses' retirement was a tragedy, right? Again, not that they retired, but they wasted two or three decades of their lives on trifles, as John Piper says. It's like the guy who put his minna in a handkerchief. It's like the guy who buried his talent They didn't care what God desired or expected. They just didn't care. They thought their lives, talents, abilities, and resources were all about them. They thought it was all about minimizing pain and maximizing pleasure. Okay, isn't this the formula for for most of the the unbelieving world? Maximizing pleasure, minimizing pain, right? That's, That's about as high as they think. I did hit this point a moment ago, but I'll say it again. If you've been in this church very long, you know your life's not about you. (laughs) It's about Christ. I love what John the Baptist says. A man can receive nothing unless it's been given him from heaven. Okay. (laughs) It's been given you and you are a steward. Ruby and Laura, their deaths were not a tragedy. They spent their years on the planet laying up treasures in heaven. And can you imagine what the homegoing is like? Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. You know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to paint that on your ceiling. And look at it every day. And live for that. Live for that day, that day. Can you imagine that the incandescent smile of Christ Jesus welcoming these two, you know, disciples into glory? Can you imagine the the thrill of that moment? the, The thrill, the intellectual, spiritual, emotional thrill of that moment. I think it's good to fantasize sometimes about these things. I'm done. Let me read a couple of verses to you. And and let me just say this before I read these closing verses. I preach straight and strong as I know how. Because I want this for you. I want this for you. I want this for me. I want to hear those words. I want to hear those words worse than anything I want to hear. Well done. I want to hear that. Well done. That's... That's what I want my life to be about. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want that for you. First Corinthians 3, God says, But let, let each man be careful how he builds upon the foundation of Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, Uh, uh, or straw, each man's work will become evident for the last day will show the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built upon uh, remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so as through fire, you know, some, some, I've run into some people say, wow, Jesus is enough. And of course he is, of course he's enough. We talked about it last week, you know, Heaven has infinite pleasures, infinite secondary, derivative pleasures. Not that it needs to have. Christ is enough. We talked about that last week. People say, well, you know, Jesus is enough. It's all it's it's kind of a backhanded blasphemy. I it's like saying, I don't care about these parables. I don't care what they're saying. I don't care what Jesus took time to say and had his apostle take time to write down. I don't care what's in the Bible. I just don't want to go to hell. Listen, if that's the highest thought you can have with respect to Christ, I'm pretty sure you're unconverted. I'm pretty sure you are. That can't be your highest thought. I'm going to stay out of hell. You've not understood. You've not understood what God is saying about Himself. Matthew 6, God says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures upon the earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is what God has called us to do. And I'm going to close with Edward's resolve. And this is what I want you and I to, to think about deeply and to incorporate. Endeavor to obtain for yourself as much happiness in the next world as you can. With all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence you are capable of, right? Do it, man. Or can bring yourself to exert in any way that you can think of. You got to love this, man. You got to love the Word of God. You just got to love the Word of God. It's just right there. It's just right there. If you've been living in the dot, go home and confess your sin. (coughs) And turn and look at King Jesus. And be the steward He expects you to be. And always have that anticipation, right? That anticipation of that astonishing smile on the face of the sun as you step out of life and into eternal life. And the whole well done thing, you know, the whole well done and enter into the joy of your master. I I want this to dominate. I I want this to dominate your thoughts. At least for today. Hopefully for the rest of your life. At least for today. Think deeply about it.